your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me for what's becoming a weekly staple here on the show is my good buddy Daryl Belfry. Daryl, what's going on, man? Excited to be back. Another guy that is a really interesting player to discuss. So we'll see if see how we do. Yes. Uh, this is becoming a weekly project for us. We pick a player that's caught our eye. We diligently sift through their tape this season, and then we get on here for 50 minutes. We break down what we're seeing, why it's working, what we like, uh, all that good stuff. Our muse this week is Quinton Byfield. And I think it's safe to say it's only 14 games to start the season, uh, certainly a long road ahead, but it feels like he's finally arrived. He's living up to everything we expected from him when he was a top prospect and went second overall to 2020 draft. And it's been beautiful to see. Yeah. The, the interesting part about this guy is I think he's a study of skating. Like when you really watch what he does and like particularly this year, a lot of what he's doing so well is rooted in outstanding use of his skating um and i and i think that that hasn't necessarily always been the case for him because like he's always had that like high athletic uh agility stop on a dime turn on a dime great hands all that sort of stuff he's he's had that he's hasn't looked the prettiest through the neutral zone um in in from certainly from his like pre-draft time and then into his first couple of years and i was always curious of whether pace through the neutral zone was going to be something that would hold him back and you watch him now and it's it's quite impressive what he's doing well you talked about this in your book. I, I forget if you call it a talent gap or a development gap, but that's what I come to with him, right? Where I think he was just so much more physically gifted than pretty much anyone he would share the ice with in the OHL that you can get away with a lack of, I guess, detail or nuance, right? Like sometimes just by brute, brute force or power or speed, you can get to wherever you want to go. And then you come to the NHL and he's still one of the best athletes on the ice, no doubt about it. But all of a sudden it becomes tougher to get away with it, right? You still might get the occasional break, but for the most part, you really have to mix in certain things to get to your spots. And I imagine for a young player, that probably is, it takes the biggest adjustment early in your career, right? Kind of like you almost have to run into that brick wall and realize that what you used to do so effortlessly before isn't really going to fly at this level. And then it's up to you to make the necessary changes and some guys do some guys don't and some guys just take longer than others yeah that's we call that the achievement gap so it's a a player who's uh who's you know ahead because they are either you know physically much more mature or that they are you know generally just a, a better player at that particular stage have more assets than than their peers and for sure, like when you saw him play junior, there were things that he could do that you just didn't know would translate very easily. And it's been a bit of a process for him to get to where where he is. I mean, one of the things, too, that I forget when I watch him is how big he actually is. He is a big, big guy and he moves like a cat 
um, in, in small space. And you're right. I mean, it does take guys who have that, you know, those physical gifts. Um, if those don't translate right away, then there is an adaptation and figuring it out. What I found really interesting with him is that it's really come through his feet. Like normally you would go through like your best, you know, your best asset. So you take his, like his athleticism combined with his size and say, okay, like that's probably where, where the adaptation is going to come from. And there has been some adaptations he's made that have been pretty significant, I think in that area, just the way he uses his body. Um, but it's, it's his feet and especially like, he's always had that multi-directional, you know, quickness and agility, but this, what he's doing now is pretty, pretty special stuff. And where I really get excited about him is when he is agile in, in the small space, he's able to travel a greater distance than the player who's checking him. And then that leads him also, but not travel a greater distance and then be caught off balance. So sometimes when guys are trying to move laterally very quickly, they tend to reach with their limbs. And then that makes them compromise their position to be able to move, make the next play, which is counterproductive or counterintuitive to what real agility is. That's not the case with him. He's able to make a quick movement. Uh, in a direction and he's able to extend that movement without extending his limb and then be able to make the next movement that really creates the separation and off you go. And it's, I think that when I really watch him there and then when you take a look at the way that, that, that LA is plays, there's so much on the wall, like they're dominating on the wall. And he, his one of the adaptations, not to not to belabor this answer, but because I have so much to say on this, but his his ability with the soft shoulders and soft hips on the wall has really caught my eye. Like what I mean by that is when he takes a contact, he just kind of rolls with it. And he's able to use that skating. Like when he's rolling with it, he's on a little bit of a turn. He takes the turn, turns it into a pivot or a crossover, and now all of a sudden he's out of there. I, that type of stuff is that's that's why I mean I think he's a real study in skating. He certainly is. Well, let's get into that. I was initially gonna think that that we were gonna start with some of the open ice stuff instead, but while we're on this, let's talk a little bit about that because I think a lot has been made of this sort of roadblock in his way from a development or positional perspective moving forward on this team, right? Because they have Anze Kopitar, they have Pierre-Luc Dubois now after the trade this past summer, they have Philip Deneau and all those guys are locked up for the next couple of years. I believe Kopitar's extension expires after the 2026 season. So that's a ways away. And a lot's been made of, all right, well, we know that centers are more valuable. This guy was a center as a prospect. You'd like to see that because he provide more positional value there. And I think for especially players this size, like I think of, like we saw what happened with Tage Thompson, for example, and I think we've spoken about him in the past where he was kind of, he would get stuck on the wall as a winger um, just because of how like lanky he was and how massive he is as a person, the proximity of people to him up against the wall, they'd be able to kind of like get out the inside position, leverage him and all of a sudden take away some of his strengths. And then Don Granado comes in, moves him to the middle of the ice and his game takes off largely because all of a sudden now they're featuring his 
most impressive skills, right? It's how fluidly he moves at that size and then his hands and the ability to use that reach and put the puck wherever he wants it. He's certainly a talented player and has puck skills and we've seen him dangle and do that toe drag and stuff. But with Byfield, it's interesting you bring that up because just watching him, it feels like he's becoming so much more comfortable in those positions where he doesn't really get bothered by someone smaller than him pressing up on him up against the wall. He's he's already exhibited really nice technique and elusiveness in making a play to get away from there. And that's a testament to his skill and also the development I think he's made because I don't know if I necessarily would have said that previously about him. Yeah, like for me, when you really watch him like in the wall stuff, like what I see is he has an ability now, like I said, the soft shoulders, soft hips of being able to turn and escape pressure and put people on his back and all that stuff. That's one thing. Um, he He's not turning a board battle into another board battle. Like he's turning a board battle into a one board battle that he makes a play off of and he leaves people on the wall. One of the things that I think that I think he does extremely well as he uses a seal. So he's a big guy, right? And so when you play against smaller players, what they want to do is they want to get into the space between your hips and your hands. So they're trying to attack that space, get in between that space. So as a, as a, as a larger player, that space is a lot bigger. It's a, it's a bigger area. And so if you do not have, an understanding of how to protect that space, then smaller players can control you because they're quicker and they can just get into that space. They push you against the wall where now you, you lose a lot of leverage because you get stood up and then that space becomes a real issue. This guy's not allowing people to get into that space because he keeps the puck closer to his body and he's able to protect that space. And as people are coming and threatening the space, he's also got space between him and the wall so he can turn. So in other words, like he has some escapability there to go out the other way, which mm-hmm. is a real, that's a really tough skill when you're tight to the boards, it's high traffic. You're a big six, he's six foot four guy. Like that is a very hard skill. And he is doing it regularly. And then he not only is he able to turn and protect that space, but then he's able to get off the wall and do some interesting things because he, he has excellent hands and where his hands really show for me is his ability close to his feet with the puck close to his feet and then getting off the wall or bringing the puck close to his feet to get out into the next, into the next space. And I, I think that that's a, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. You need to be able to understand how to play on the wall, but a player this big, uh, that is, a, and, and as athletic as he is, uh, to learn how to protect the space is, and be able to create opportunity to the other side of the, of, of his body to me is a, uh, is a massive, massive development. And I think speaks to, why he's so good and playing in LA and how much time they are on the walls and how much they rely on good wall play to generate, uh, especially when they get in the offensive zone. I mean, it's, it's really now it looks like a perfect fit. Like would this work in care, like at, in a Carolina situation where they, where they're constantly just chase, like chase down, put, put the puck into, into space, chase it into space, 
break you down that way, like by winning constantly winning races and stuff. This is a much more half court type of offense that they like. I mean, of course they're good in transition, but the way they love to be on the wall, they're very comfortable in the wall and they almost like grind you the way this guy is performing right now and is com- how comfortable he is in the space that five feet from the wall. It's really, it makes you feel like this is a perfect match for him. It is. And that's why I said that like, regardless of what position he's playing, I think these are very valuable reps for him because even if he does move to the middle one day, and I'm sure he will at some point in his career, these are like applicable skills that he will still be able to, to tap into right sometimes if you don't really get this experience and then all of a sudden you're put in those positions later on in your career it's kind of foreign ground for you right and it become might, might become might more difficult to make that adjustment he's already shown that he's capable of doing that and and, and you're right just the fluidity of it and i noticed that technique as well where the agility to kind of quickly with one step get around a defender get the inside position and then use that frame to seal and then attack the middle and while keeping his head up and then tapping into some of those playmaking skills he's shown as a distributor where he's keeping his head up, he's scanning, he's looking for options, he's making a play. Like here, hits the point man, results in a, in a goal eventually. Like that's really high level stuff, especially for a young player, right? Because these aren't things that I imagine he ever really had to even worry about previously, right? Like this wasn't part of, part of his resume. And all of a sudden now doing it, he's just, he's passing all those tests. Yeah, I think the the other thing he's become really good at that I think really jumps off the page for me also is you mentioned his passing, which I, I think is a byproduct of him getting really good body position and then having a great understanding with his footwork of being able to create those little separations. So he gets separation. He has just a little bit more time than he's able to make some really good plays. But what what really dovetails with that is he's excellent in rotation. So he can go from the back wall and he makes, you know, he leaves this guy on the wall. He makes a play. Next thing you know, he's at the net or he's in the high F3 and he's dangerous from those two areas as well. So not only is he making plays on the wall, but he then finds himself into these rotations where he gets into really good offensive positions. Like his F3 play is excellent. He can really shoot the puck from there. He can shoot it off the pass. He can shoot it off the pivot. He can come downhill into it. Uh, you know, he he ro- he can rotate uh, and shoot off the catch. He has an excellent uh, ability to use like what we call like a scope tip. So he starts at the net and he starts going out towards the point man, and the guy shoots it. He can he can tip those pucks. So he has a real array of really interesting skills as an F three, and he finds himself in those positions. And then he also can get he can get to the net. He's a big, big body with very uh, a very agile frame and can move. And he rotates and finds himself there. And then he's he's got a heavy stick, so he he's got all these assets that just make him so dangerous because uh, he's not just like stuck on the wall making plays. He goes from the wall and he rotates into better positions. And I think that's partly what really makes the 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 LA team so dangerous. Because I always felt like that was something that held Kopitar back from being like a hundred point guy was rotation. He would be on the wall. He'd be so good on the wall, so good around the net. 
And, you know, he'd have his moments through the neutral zone or off the rush where he, where he was good and some power play stuff, but it just wasn't enough. Like just didn't have the fluidity of the use of the whole zone and getting the multiple puck touches that are required to really generate a lot of points in this league. Um, and this is, this is what Byfield is showing. He has that rotational skill and uh, instincts and the puck starts following him around. So a lot of the clips that we have, he's getting the puck two, three times. And that's always a big sign for me that this guy could really pop offensively and find his way into, into some really interesting numbers. Um, and, you know, and, and I, I'm all here for it. I, I think, I, I think players like this are, are fascinating and really important for us to, to truly start to understand. Well, he's got 13 points in 14 games so far. 11 of them are assists. He's got a six-game point streak, and a bunch of them are secondary assists, and I think we typically value primary assists more just because we can more directly trace it to you know, having a hands-on impact on creating the goal. But at the same time, I do think this is kind of like a feature and not a bug for him because a lot of the stuff you mentioned where his ability with the multiple puck touches, the rotation, uh, the ability to kind of extend plays – I think that's going to be a recurring theme for him. He's certainly going to pile up the primary assists as well, but that's kind of just part of how he plays and how they're playing as a team. And then he's coming into that and he's, even though it is a secondary assist, he's playing a very instrumental role in helping create that, that goal when it eventually happens. Right. So I, I really like what I've seen from him in that regard as a playmaker. I mean, the vision and him keeping his head up and looking for guys has been phenomenal. And then you pair him playing him, with Kopitar smarts and helping him get off the wall there. And then Kempe, who's arguably the most willing shooter in the NHL that we have going right now. He's, he's a guy who's never seen a shot opportunity. He doesn't like, I believe he's like fifth or sixth in shot rate this season and has been a recurring theme from the past couple of years. That's a really nice combination for them. And so I'm not surprised to see that those three guys have the type of uh, five on five numbers they do together. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, Kempe is a whole other discussion. I can't even start with the Kempe discussion. <laughs> he's he's one of my favorite players in the league. Like I love that guy. So I I'm not going to touch that. Um, what I will say about the uh, the secondary assists is not like I know that that has some some analytic pro, analytic predictable value in terms of guys, and I don't want to discount that. But I think as part of a development process with a player, which is basically what we're talking about here, having a player touch the puck multiple times and putting himself, I call it putting yourself in the points. So what what happens is, is like, so the puck goes in the offensive zone, it's a loose puck. Primary, usually that's your first touch. You go get that touch, you make a play. Whatever the play is, you then move to a, rotate to another position, you touch the puck again. So when those two puck touches happen in the space between them, they've probably touched one or two other hands before it got back to you, right? And then now you'd make another play and then it touches one or two hands again. So you've touched the puck three times now. There's probably been seven or eight puck touches total for your, for your group, but you're in the points all the time. Do you see what I mean? Like throughout that in throughout all three of those puck touches, if any time that puck were to go in the net, you're in the points. Now it so happens that he ends up as a, uh, you know, as a, as a second assist. I don't discount that. I, I think that that's part of the development process of getting the puck multiple times. It also speaks to 
guys who are, I think, really good on the wall will have themselves situations in which they get a lot of second points, particularly from point shot rebound situations. So if you could envision shots taken, this guy wins a race to go get the puck on the back wall. He problem solves the pressure. He goes low to high to the point. Point guy shoots it. Not high probable that that original shot is going in. Probably going to be tip or rebound type play. That's a secondary assist. This guy has made done a lot of work inside of that through the puck recovery process, etc. So, and LA is a team that's low to high. They do like their point shots, um, or historically have liked their their point shots, and have defensemen who do uh, who are proficient there. I like the where Byfield is going. I think he wins a lot of pucks. And to your point, he's got guys that he can make plays to. Is also he gets first touch in loose puck situations. So he's not, you don't see him like running people over to get the puck. He, he wins the race to, to get to the puck and he gets a first touch, which is a whole different thing. And in, in today's day and age, there's a lot of value in players who can do that and how much offense that they can generate. So I, I think it's interesting. And I, I, I think that uh, the more he continues to do this, he'll find more and more ways to generate offense uh, in this uh, from these types of positions that he finds himself in. Certainly. And, and like I said, I think of him as, as a, you know, a play extender or a connector. And I don't think it's surprising that with him on the ice and part of it is because, I mean, the Kings as a team are so good at five on five, but Kopitar and Kempe in particular are also awesome players. But you look at when Byfield's on the ice this season, the Kings are controlling 61% of the shot attempts, 60% of the expected goals, 60% of the high danger chances. They're outscoring teams 11 to six. Like that's high level stuff at five on five. And I don't think that's that's a coincidence. It's a lot of these little things we're talking about kind of adding up and accumulating over time. Now, we we talked a little bit about the wall play, right? And how the Kings are beasts along the boards and how that's been a, a point of emphasis for them. I do want to talk about the transition game and the rush element as well, because mm -hmm. I don't think that should be overlooked here either. And the Kings as a team right now are second in the league in 5-on-5 scoring. They generate the third most expected goals for, but they also give up the third fewest expected goals against. And we'll talk more about the defensive end of things here in a second and how that relates to Byfield. But I think the big reason for that beyond the wordplay is just their command of the rush game and how seamless the transition is for them. You know, we think a lot about them off the puck, especially when they get the lead. They load up that 1-3-1 in the neutral zone, and it's just absolutely brutal trying to work your way through it. But offensively, we've seen them take their game as a team to another level in terms of moving downhill like that, right? As soon as they get it, they're off and running, and it's a full team attack. And as we're seeing on the clips here, I think Byfield's ability to leverage some of that speed and kind of open up the ice for them has been really valuable. And now all of a sudden, you've got him and Kempe just flying down the ice. That can be quite a handful for other teams to try to contend with. Yeah, not only that, but they also show an ability to go east-west while they are sprinting up the ice, east-west with the puck while they're sprinting up the ice. One of the things with Kempe is he is a one of the best shooters off the rush, off the pass. Um, and 
And so, which is a great skill to have so long as you have people who can make that play, right? Like you still need a guy who can make a play. This is where Byfield for me has really, and really kind of feeds this, the whole situation there because he does have that ability to make those, those East West plays. He can make plays through people. You see him make good decisions on when the play is not there as well. And he can chip it, like use a self chip and win that, win that race for the puck. And then they start grinding you in the offensive zone. One of the areas that I think is a next step for Byfield uh, in his own personal development is more of the command through the middle of the ice and his own personal use of the middle of the ice. When I say middle of the ice, I don't mean necessarily him skating through the middle of the ice. I mean, getting, from him off the wall into the dot line and then being able to go more like dot to dot type plays or being one step, one crossover away from the middle of the ice. If he so chooses, there are times where he gets, he's passing ability is good. He will use the middle of the ice by passing it there, but he doesn't necessarily have it as a habit yet of just coming off the wall and getting the dot line and getting the uh, getting the middle of the ice, which I think when he's at his best off the rush and the clips that you've chosen, you can see there's a lot of play through the middle of the ice where he's really making things happen. I think that that's a next a natural next step with his development. What I do find interesting is when he was you know coming in through his draft year, I didn't love him through the neutral zone in terms of his skating. And, you know, he he looked gangly and there were, there were times where I just didn't feel like there was an efficiency there. I thought there was a lot of wasted movement, lost of made wasted energy. And I was curious to see if he was going to get it sorted out and what is at, and the natural adaptation for a player like that uh, is to cross your feet a lot more. And so you can see through the neutral zone, he does cross his feet a lot, but then when he doesn't cross his feet and he goes into a stride, it is an angry stride. It's got a lot of power to it. It's and and he follows it up with a lot of crossovers thereafter. So I'm really impressed with how he's getting through the neutral zone. And I think that the more he gets more and more confidence of getting and sprinting through the neutral zone, he is going to find that he'll be able to get off the wall more often from the D zone and get out. But when he is in the middle of the ice, he's just a huge, huge problem. And, uh, and that I think is a big part of the next step in his development in, in being able to contribute offensively off the rush. Mm. Well, this clip against the penguins, we got teed up here where he make comes back, makes a defensive play. And then immediately they flip from defense to offense and he attacks the middle of the ice here, as you're talking about, I mean, this is this is the type of intoxicating stuff where you watch it and you envision like what he's capable of, and there's just so few players in the league that could do something like that, right? And so it's yeah, it's very exciting to think about. And as a team, they're fourth in the league in rush shots; they're averaging about 16 of them per game. And it's interesting you mentioned that that east-west element and kind of how that's made them more efficient. I think that was such a point of emphasis for them because they've been good off the rush for a couple years now. But I always thought their rush attack was very either predictable or kind of like cookie cutter because it would just be very north, uh, north, south centric, right? Like they would just go downhill and the first person into the zone 
as soon as they could, they would just shoot. And while that's still more dangerous than most other shots you're going to get over the course of a game, if everyone knows where it's coming from and the opposing goalie can basically the entire way kind of get his position intact, eye you down, and then all of a sudden make that save, you kind of neutralized a lot of why we like the rush attack, right? And then now all of a sudden you start incorporating more of this east-west, less less predictable, more dangerous. I think that's very exciting, and that's I think a big part of why their five-on-five offense as a team has taken the jump it has. Uh, last year they were like middle of the pack in both goals and expected goals at five-on-five, and this year they're top three in both. And that was such a, you know, when they ran into Edmonton the past couple of years, and they could kind of see the talent gap between them and the Oilers and how in a postseason series that really can ultimately be the deciding factor. I think that really preoccupied like what they were trying to accomplish in terms of taking this next step as a team and becoming from going from a good regular season team that wins a lot of games to all of a sudden becoming a true contender. And if this can keep up in terms of that five on five offense and how they're creating these looks, then I think, I think they're there. Like that was kind of the final step for me uh, in terms of what I needed to see before putting them in that elite contender status. Yeah, and like you bring up a really good point, and that is the develop a team development for rush offense. You know, largely it starts with their F one, F two. So, first guy with the puck, he usually has the puck outside the dots. Well, and now you got to make sure that he makes good decisions on entry. So, don't turn it over. Don't try to do anything too crazy. Get it in deep. Shoot it. You know, maybe use F2 who can maybe try to present uh, on the heels of the defender, try to isolate the first defender that you see. F1, F2, go after one of those 2D and and try to work together. But you're still only using the front post to the wall, right? So from a goalie perspective and the stress you're putting on the goalie, it's not as significant. Now you develop that. Okay, so now you got F2. He knows he's got to get to the net. He's sprinting. He's an option. He gets the puck every so often. Now you're like, okay, if he can generate that much speed and get and be a threat to get in behind, he's now building the space that you need to be able to go east-west. The reason why teams struggle with uh, rush offense initially is because their F2 is no good. And he, he compresses the space at the line. So now you get a really creative forward with the puck crosses the line. He has no space because F2 doesn't get deep enough. So now he tries to force a puck east to west with the 2D standing up at the line. Of course, they intercept it and the play's going the other way. And then now you're like, wait, wait a minute. You got to be more responsible with the puck. You got to make better decisions. You can't win that way. And really, when you trace it down, yeah, the puck carrier's got to make a better choice. But really, it's the F2. And what I think that LA has done is they were so North for so long, right? And that's what North is. It's really F1 and F2 and limit the cross ice passes. But if you really want to score off the rush, you have to go East West. It's got to be a dot to dot type of thing because, or at least you need that threat. And that's the development of all. And then after that, you're like, okay, well maybe we can get numbers on the rush. We can maybe jump a D and so now you'll see like some of your clips, like you'll see the F1, F2 takes off through the zone. He pushes him back. F1, he's got lots of time now. So he pulls up and now he's hitting the D dot to dot. That's not the LA Kings. They never did that. They That wasn't really their game. 
they were always just really straight line. If they didn't like what they saw, they just put it in behind you and go four check. This is a whole different animal now because they are able to get a better F2 that's able to put more pressure on the defender and really create the space to go east-west. Because the the dot to dot play is an is is has to be insulated and created by the speed and the positioning of F one or or F two getting to the net. That's what's critical, and I think that's what we're seeing here with LA. Is that's why these layers are good is because they establish that first. Where other teams, the creative guys get going, they don't establish the F F two. And so they keep turning pucks over at the blue line. So they're like, okay, don't do that. Let's get it in deep. So now you take the puck out of the puck out of those skill players' hands. So you're really working backwards now. When these guys, I think, have done it right in their approach to like get get the F one F two game down, and then we can open it up a little bit more. That's what you're seeing. And they remarkably do it without really cheating like they do it the right way right because i think you could get out in transition but if all of a sudden you're just coming if other teams come back if you don't score and getting the same look back it's kind of you know diminishing returns because like all right what did you ultimately accomplish uh unless you have just truly high level shooters and you're gonna expect to bury more of your opportunities than your opponent will but for the most part you want to at least see some sort of gap there in terms of how much you're creating versus giving up and making sure that you're doing it the right way and they do that. I mean, when that line is out there with Byfield, Kopitar, and Kempe, so far at 5-on-5, they've generated 51 rush shots. They've only given up 25 of them themselves, right? Like, that is a massive gap between what they're creating and what they're giving up the other way. And so I wanted to tie that now into the defensive element as well because I've been really impressed with Byfield's work there, just purely in terms of how they've just let him free as um, a disruptor, right? Like, using some of that that speed advantage that he's shown to to hound opposing defenders to to attack them try to cause disruptions cause turnovers and just you can almost see at times uh you mentioned how like how big and fast he is in that combination a guy who's listed at six four six five or whatever he is really shouldn't be able to move as fast as he does right and, and i think you can see defenders get almost kind of thrown off or spooked because they think they have time and then all of a sudden he's just bearing down on them. And so all, uh, it completely distorts their vision, distorts any options they have. They wind up turning it over and that feeds the Kings attack as well. And so um, it hasn't just been all the fun stuff we think about in terms of the rush offense and creativity. It's been off the puck as well and what he's been creating with his legs in that regard and doing so in a very modern way, right? He's 6'5", but he's not just going and throwing bone crunching hits. A lot of it is getting there, and then using the agility and the skill with the stick to cause disruptions and cause turnovers as opposed to just purely taking the body. Yeah, he, it, again, to me, it comes down to he he is a study in skating because he's a big body like him. You would expect that his number one way to create turnovers would be just to run people over and be very physical and when you watch him, that that's just not what he does. He wins races to pucks. He takes good lines. He wins good body position. He knocks you off the line to get the puck. He has an excellent stick. Um, he 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 can read what to do, what what you want to do. But he also has good feet to be agile. He can he can create false information on one side of your body. 
And then he has the quickness and agility to be able to jump to the other side with a really good stick to get the takeaway. Um, so he does a lot of that. The other piece with their offense uh, that leads them to be very good defensively is Kopitar is near impossible to take a puck from in the offensive zone. Byfield has become extremely good in in uh, in the on in wall play in in offensive zone play. You could argue that the guy who would be least responsible in in with the puck in the offensive zone would be Kempe because of his propensity to shoot from anywhere and uh, off and any pass is a good any pass is a good pass. He's like one of those guys always open, and even when he's not open, he's open. He's that guy. Um, and so he's the only one that's like, you're going to take those shots and he, he could, he could put you in some spots that way, but Byfield's great ability again, to rotate his position from the wall into the middle of the ice, particularly the F3 spot. And then his, his, uh, his tracking ability is, I think underrated. He gets a lot of track takeaways, at least a lot of pressure. Uh, he puts a lot of pressure on you. So in the offensive zone, they don't really do a lot that leads you to offense because they're very hard to get a puck from. Like you really got to earn it. It's probably going to be a missed shot that you're going to get the puck from them because they're not going to give it to you. Kopitar is an excellent uh, small area passer. Byfield has really shown that ability to make really good plays and passes in the offensive zone. So these guys are a real problem. Like they're, they're hard to, hard to manage because they don't really give you like the easy plays to transition out of your zone with like an errant pass into the slot that you can just, that turns into your breakout. The D grabs it, boom, they outlet it and they're gone. They're in transition. They just don't do a lot of that stuff or they, or they lose their F3 and he gets down by the goal line. And now, you know, a simple play next thing, you know, they're a a bad shot choice. And now the other team is coming out with numbers. Like they're not doing that because they're very strong in, in puck protection situations. Their F3 is there. And this this byfield, I mean, he can really he can hunt you down. He can hunt yeah. you down. It's famo. He can. And there's been a couple of times this year where, and we've seen some of the clips here where he's gotten into a foot race where the puck gets cleared out of their own zone, and one defender on the other team's going back to try and retrieve it. And they're probably thinking, as poor Braden McNabb here found out, they're probably mm-hmm. thinking, all right, this will be a pretty easy play. I'll go back. I'll probably be able to touch it to my to my partner, and we'll be going back the other way. Maybe these guys are even going to change. And instead, they turn around, they shoulder check, and Byfield's just coming at yeah. 100 miles an hour, just 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 bearing down on them and totally changing whatever their previous plans may have been. And so I think he's been almost been able to completely change some of these games and take over just with that activity level and how hard he's been working. And, and so that's been really fun to watch. And I think the you know the NHL released their uh, their player tracking stats at NHL Edge, and they've got him as like a 98th percentile skater in terms of like speed bursts and, and how mm-hmm. fast he's skating and i buy it i mean that shouldn't be the case for someone who's as big as he is but when you watch him play that's that's exactly what he's been doing out there so yeah no it's really cool seeing how you can disrupt games and and you know he's the common theme we keep coming back to here is it feels like this season he's really found a way to just leverage a lot of these physical skills he has into functional into functionality right into stuff that puts his team in advantageous positions even if he's not the one directly benefiting from it it's helping move them in the right direction and set the table for his teammates and that's 
a very valuable thing um, as the Kings have found out this season. So what you're talking about, if you want to leverage individual assets, you have to win races, win body position, win pucks, extend possession. Those are the things that you have to be able to do if you want to be able to you know, turn games or extend games. These are the types of things that, that, that are your leverageable things. So you take a guy 6'4", who's in the 90, whatever, 7th percentile in skating, he's winning races. He's not, he's not dumping a puck to let the D-man D go back, wait to see which side he's going to turn on, and then put him through the, through the boards. Meanwhile, the guy's already moved the puck. He's racing to get ahead of the guy to win the first touch. When I started to really understand first touch, it really changed everything. Because when you study first touch on a, just, if you just took a retrieval situation altogether and you just said, okay, I want to just take a look at the success rates of defensemen versus four checkers. And I'm only going to look at first touch. It is alarming. The amount, like the correlation between first touch and success rate. And so it's not for checking is not, body checking as much as it used to be it really isn't it's winning races to get the your stick on that puck first that's what it is and that's what happens and so that that's related to also how you dump a puck in or the routes that you take on a on a on a shot like a, a on, on a loose puck the route that you take to try to get body position and then the physicality once you get there, because a lot of times it's not, you're not knocking the guy into the board, you're knocking him off the line to the puck and so that you can have exclusive access. And that's what I think we see is the way he's able to leverage, you know, his size is, to me, his skating is phenomenal, the stuff that he does. And that's why I think he's a, if you ever wanted to study someone skating, take a look and their development in their skating and what, like, what it should look like to to be able to leverage his the, your skills in this way looking at him playing you know his his draft year in Sudbury and then watching him play now and just look at the difference in how he utilizes his skating to create these things that I just mentioned it's like that's development and yeah. that's what it takes time to get there it certainly does. And, and, you know, he's technically in his fourth NHL season. I believe he was drafted in 2020. Uh, the first one was just kind of a six-game cup of coffee. He had a bunch of injuries along the way. Uh, you know, there was, there was the COVID mess as well. Like, there's – he's still 21 all the way through the season. I believe he turns 22 in August. Like, this is serves as a good reminder of, of patience when it comes to development, that it's not always linear, that sometimes it takes time to get into the right spot, to develop these skills, figure out how you're going to leverage them and how you're going to use them at this level. And it's also cool that, you know, he's always going to be inextricably linked with Alexi Lafreniere because they went one, two in the same draft class. And Lafreniere himself is experiencing a really nice offensive breakout playing with Artemi Panarin this year. He's doing it in a wildly different way. It's about the antithesis of Byfield where pretty much all of his offenses come from goal scoring and being on the receiving end and finishing. Whereas Byfield is doing a lot of the other stuff in terms of creating and playmaking, but both guys are getting it done and are serving as a good reminder for that patience. You know, there's a few things I did notice or I wanted to note as well. And, and this should be encouraging for Byfield and the Kings moving forward is that I think whether we want to talk about a shot or maybe how they're using him on the power play, I think there's actually 
even more untapped potential or like juice to be squeezed here um, because th there's just other capacities that I think he contribute in, right? On the power play, they use him on the second unit and I get it. They have, you know, the, the big guns up front uh, crowding the first unit. And for the second unit, he basically serves the role as the transporter. He gets them into the zone. He He carries the puck up the ice and gets the entry. I don't really like when they use him as the net front guy. I get the inclination to do so because he is such a massive body and he can kind of crowd the goalie and take away their, their eyesight. But we've talked about how the net front game has changed over the years and how it's much more about moving in and out and timing that and sort of becoming tougher to deal with rather than just kind of posting up and standing there. Um, I don't like when they use him as the net front as much because I think it's almost neutralizing a lot of his main attributes which is his agility and which is his playmaking ability. And it's really tough to get him the puck there. He's generally just kind of standing and hoping to either screen or tip. Now his shot hasn't really materialized into a real weapon yet. So I get the reluctance to put him on one of the flanks, but I, I don't know if you'd move him kind of more off the goal line and maybe have him darting from side to side, kind of like the, the lightning used to use Alex Kalorin for years. I'm not sure how you'd utilize him on the power play, but I think, I don't want him being stationary. I want him constantly moving because I think that's when he's at his most dangerous. So what I see is I'd love to see him as man in the middle and mm. study and, and a good study for him would be like what Larkin is doing in Detroit and trying to find, because now you're, you're, there's a distributing aspect of being a man in the middle. There's the agility and being able to slide into spaces just to be available and then there's and then there's obviously the shooting component, but I see so many five on five transferability skills that he could further his development in all aspects of his game if he was utilized as man in the middle. And so that could be an interesting place for him. I also think like with young player like that, like it's almost like you you want to try to find because uh, you know second half of like a second unit power play is about. 30 seconds to, on average, maybe a little bit more if you're lucky. So, and you probably had to go back and get it first. So you're probably looking at, you know, maybe 22 to at best time in the seconds in the offensive zone. So some type of rotational thing where he can move from one spot to the next um, and it might give them better information about where he might develop best next i'm with you it's easy to take a six four guy with those kind of hands and put them at the net fair enough and i don't discount the value of having a guy like that but i'm if you're just looking at it only from his personal development then i think i'm with you i think there's other places that he can play that might be more interesting um, and offer more transferability into his development in other aspects in his five-on-five game. Yeah, a couple of the sequences I've liked on the power play with him have actually been when he starts on the circle and then incorporates that the guy on the goal line and they do a little give and go and he gets moving downhill and attacks the net. And then if he winds up settling as the net front there until the play rotates, I'm fine with that. But I don't want him to just, as option A, just go to the net and just kind of stand there. Like To me, I think they can be more ambitious with the way they deploy him there but you're right with the second unit you're kind of uh picking at scraps i i think he's only scored the two goals so far um he only scored a couple goals last year as well 
What I like to see is his shot rate has gone up significantly this year, right? It's been a steady uh, climb up for him. And this year, he's actually firing at quite a, quite a high rate. And he's getting the opportunities. I think he's hit the post a couple of times. Like, I don't see really anything in the mechanics or or the opportunities he's getting to make me think that this guy is just going to be a massive net negative as a shooter. Like, he'll probably always be more of a playmaker and more of an assist guy. But I, I think there is more goal and more conversion there for him. And so if that happens, all of a sudden, even more passing lanes open up, right? You got to respect him as a dual threat and life becomes even easier for him as a distributor. So um, I think that's kind of the next step in terms of what I want to see from him. Finally start converting on some of these shots that he is taking this season. Yeah. I mean, like if you want to score, if he wants to score, he's going to have to get 225 to 300 shots. Like that's just the rite of passage is you got to shoot more. And then to your point, which was where my mind was going when you were talking is the more he becomes a more dangerous shooter as a shot threat, the the more he will find that there's going to be better plays that he'll be able to make that will end up as goals. And right now as a young player playing on a top line with a guy like Kempe and with a guy like Kopitar, it's very difficult to think that you're the best option. You're the best shot option. And you know, then as time goes by, it's more maturity. I'm sure he gets back to the bench and Kopitar probably says to him, Hey, you should shoot that one, you know? And so there'll be permissions that are made along the way that offer him more of an opportunity to shoot the puck. I don't think he's, I don't think he doesn't have a good shot. I think that he, by the time he gets to where his mind is, I'm going to shoot, he's exhausted every other option. And that just isn't the way it works. Yeah, when you're sh- when you've arrived at okay, I've looked at every shot, every pass option available. None of those are available. Now I'm going to shoot. You're looking at shooting from a real deficit uh, in terms of trying to generate opportunity. So I I think for him, it's just going to be a steady climb of him choosing to be a shot option. And the other thing is learning to shoot off the pass and learning to be a, do a better job of landing on the net and finding those second area, second, second area opportunities around the net. Uh, those might be uh, another way for him to at least get started in, in scoring a lot more. Good stuff. All right, Daryl, we got to get out of here. We're out of time for today. Uh, it's a shame because I could probably do another full hour of hockey talk with you while I've got you, uh, but we're just going to have to settle for waiting till next week when we pick another muse and get back in the lab to break their tape down. In the meantime, if you're enjoying these shows that Daryl and I have been putting out there, but you aren't watching the accompanying videos, then you're missing out. So uh, to rectify that, just go to the Hockeypedia Guest YouTube page where we've got the full archives up for all the players we've given the deep dive treatment to so far this year, like we just did with Quinton Pyfield. Uh, just getting to see the clips for yourself while we're talking about them is super helpful if you're a visual learner like myself. And while you're there, uh, make sure to subscribe, like, and leave a comment. All that stuff helps us a lot. And listen, as long as you keep showing us some love, we'll keep doing these shows. And that seems like a pretty fair trade to me. Also, if you'd like to be part of the PDO cast community and jump in on the conversation, definitely consider hopping on our Discord server as well. The invite link is in the show notes. It's super easy to join. We've got a bunch of people uh, in there already, and there's some good chats going on as it continues to grow moving forward. Uh, we're going to start using it to solicit show topics and get future mailbag questions and all that good stuff. Okay. 
that's all I've got for today. Thank you for listening to us, and we'll be back soon with plenty more of the Hockey PDOcast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.